0: Well, good morning, church. It's great to be in the house of the Lord with you all, to dive into the Word, as we do every Sunday. Um, and we're back in the series that we're going to be Family Identity. And uh, this is a, a series going through the book of James. And James is giving us a lot of wisdom literature. This is, you know, truisms that we can take, that we can hold on to. And and so that's kind of where where we where we've been gathering. But what I love most about this time is that it's really meant to be a time of spiritual family coming together, encouraging one another, equipping us to go back out in the world. Right? Like like we what we believe that's going on out there is kind of chaotic, and because it's chaotic, we we take this this one day of the week where we say, okay, no, let's let's come together, let's kind of breathe a sigh of like. We got this, right? Like, let's, let's armor up and let's get back out there tomorrow because tomorrow's Monday and Monday's coming. And so we need to get ready for it. And So that's kind of what we do here. And, and what I love about this book is that it's ancient. And yet it has stood the test of time. And what it does is it, is it reads our hearts. It diagnoses issues in our lives and it gives us instruction for, for what we can do to kind of combat issues that, that arise for us, and um, this is God's revelation, so this is God's wisdom, and so we we put it above everything else, that if I have ideas that coincide or conflict with the scriptures, guess who loses? Guess who ought to lose? I don't always lose, and then I end up finding myself in difficulty or conflict, um, but but we get to come in and we allow this book to read our lives. We allow it to inform us it bear its weight on us that it might change us to become more like Jesus. Now, then, then as we change, there's this transformative work. And that's really what James is getting at in our book. But there's this transformative work. We take on a new identity. And so, in essence, this is the expectation of theology. Theology is meant to be seen. And that's what James says in this book. Like, like, throughout his letter to these suffering people, right, that have they've been persecuted and so they've scattered, like, James says, hey, I want to see what you believe. I want to see, like, like, tangibly see it, like, great, you know John 3, 16. Great, you you have a, a quiet time in the morning, that's awesome. Like, great, when, when you're out in public, you're saying, God bless you, oh, just bless your heart, right, like... That's just how you talk out in public. And James would say, great, 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 great. But how do you treat your neighbor? How do you handle suffering? Like, like, is there something different about you the way that you live? You know, he says, hey, how how do you treat people? And and he's not wondering how you treat your neighbor next door that owns a business and, and is doing very well off. He's saying, no, no, how do you deal with that guy around the corner that's sitting at the corner of the street with, with his cup out, like, how do you treat that person? Because that's the identity that, that, that you ought to have, right? That it's seen in how you treat that person. Karen and I were meeting with a, with a gentleman that was a missionary um, uh, with, through our denomination, but but he had said, you know, hey, if you want to find Jesus in your community, you need to go to the margins to find him. Like, you want to find Jesus in, in your community? Like, like, go find the people that are down and out, and you're going to find Jesus there. I thought that was so right and so true. Based on, as you follow Jesus' ministry, the people that he can't seem to get away from, the people he chases after. Right, the woman at the well. The, 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 the man at Bethsaida by the pool, the lame man. Right, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Like, like these are the people in John, that, that John's telling the story of Jesus' ministry. These are the people that Jesus is building his team with. And so, um, James says, do you live that way? Is it seen in how you are treating your neighbor? And so, really, James is um, writing so much about practicality. He says, great, you believe in God, but he says, you know who else does? The demons. The the, the, the demons believe. If the the demons believe that, that, that... shouldn't give you any sense of comfort just because you've made this intellectual ascent that there must be a designer to the design that we're living in, right? So this wisdom really that, that James is writing for us, he says it's very practical. It's seen in everyday life. And and last week, he kind of took a break from surgery and this transformative work that needs to happen, and he says, okay, let's just pause. Like stand where you're at. Like a, wisdom has traceable steps. So if... If where you are today, that that will give us a litmus on what wisdom you followed. It's like the board game life. I can trace you back and say where and what wisdom you're following. And so uh, last week, I kind of said something along the lines of the wisdom you follow serves not only as a GPS to guide your direction, but it is the engine that gets you to your destination. Right Like, like the wisdom that we follow, I mean where you're at today is a reflection of what wisdom you followed that's what that's what James is getting at, um and so he says that there is worldly wisdom, and he said there was heavenly wisdom, and he essentially said, and in the most simplest of ways, he says, worldly wisdom prioritizes position over people, and James would say that's demonic he, he he'd say You know, at the end of your life, you don't want to have sacrificed relationships with with your family, with your friends, with your co-workers. He's like, you you don't sacrifice that just to gain some position or to gain some finances. He's like, if you're if you're stomping on people to get to your destination, he says that's not good. He said, but that's how the world operates, right? We're we're the self-made man, we're the self-made woman. We're, you know, we got ours, and and who cares? Maybe we had to crack a few eggs to make the omelet, but. But essentially, you know, we're going we're to get ours. And James says, that's, that's not wisdom you want to follow. At the end of the day, yeah, you might attain this goal, but at the, what, what God, the, the row that's there is riddled with hurt people now because you got yours. Congrats. But he says there's a wisdom that's heavenly. And he said that, that, that heavenly wisdom is really seen in humility. And we define biblical humility as this, is. That people matter. It's not that you're nothing. It's not that you can't think about yourself. But, but it, it, it's a word that's also uh, translated to gentleness. And so, you know, the way you treat things that are valuable, that are precious, you treat them gently. Right? You, you're, you're not whimsical with how you, you know, you're not tossing the china into the sink to get it washed. You would treat it gently. Not because you think the china matters more than you, but that you believe the china matters. And so, um, James says, that's heavenly wisdom, though, where where you're able to see that God independently matters, that that people independently matter. Um, And so, as James says, that this wisdom, it takes you places, it takes you to where you are. He says it's an engine. And then in our text today, James is going to say, hey, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you know this, but there's some noise coming from underneath the hood. And we should probably check that out. But as James is checking out the noise from underneath the hood, he's not doing so because he's worried about the noise. He's worried at what's causing the noise. Right? There's this, there's this conflict that's brewing. Now, um, why I say this reads our lives, why Scripture reads our lives, is because, yeah, maybe millennia have passed, but my guess is majority of us in here would say, that we have experienced levels of conflict in our life. And and conflict isn't always bad. Conflict can be really helpful and healthy, but um, some of us have seen conflict done in a really bad way, right, where you've seen, you know, fights that have come, and you've seen hurt relationships, deteriorated relationships, extinction of relationships because of conflicts that that just went unattended or or they weren't um, given proper solution to whatever that issue was. Right, so so we, we live in a world of conflict, relationally. How we see the world, right? Right now on Apple Music, there's this song, um, "Rich Men North of Richmond." I don't know if anybody hear that song yet. It's kind of bluegrassy. It's kind of. I'm uh, not saying that I um, would encourage you to listen to it, but it's actually kind of a cool song. Um, but in this song, the artist he he he's a nobody in a sense that he doesn't have fame, he doesn't have recognition. I actually read an article that somebody offered him $8 million for that song, and he turned it down. Um, but this song has become number one. He's just this, this guy that, that is in Hollywood. And, and what he does is he says throughout the whole point of the song is he's just speaking to conflict. Conflict with how the world operates. Conflict with how people in Washington are running the show, right? He, He's like, man, they don't care about you. They, they keep fueling destruction in our culture. And, and he, he writes this song. And you know what? The fact that it becomes number one on Apple Music, you know what that tells me? People are relating to that. People are relating to the sense that when we look around, there, there's conflict in our world. Things are not as they should be. Right? And so there's a remedy that's needed, a solution that's needed. I think James is going to give us that solution. Um, the, the, the artist of that song doesn't really give a, a solution. He just pretty much says that there's a, there's a noise. There's a noise within our culture. There's a noise in our world. And we need to get to the root of problems. Right? We, we, we need to get dirty. We need to roll up our sleeves and be willing to get messy. Because um, James, in our passage, is going di- to identify conflicts. Conflicts that we have with man, conflicts that we have with God. And James isn't so much as nervous or worried about the noise itself as much as he's worried about what's causing the noise. You know, what's behind it, you know, because it's evident that it's there. So if you have the scriptures open, we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says this, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want when you ask. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And so this is obviously a continuation of chapter 3 where he's taking this idea of, of worldly wisdom that, that's seen in bitter jealousy that gives way to selfish ambition. And when we talked about bitter jealousy, when, when James says that the wisdom of the world is bitter jealousy seen in selfish ambition, we said, okay, well, bitterness is um, I have a conflict that is in the past and it is fueling how I'm treating these people in the present. Right, so so somebody may have wronged you in the past, and now there's this the, the, the banner that you've put over them. How you see them is just the conflict that they that they did towards you. and It might have been warranted, right? Somebody might have promised you something. They might have let you down in some you know egregious way, and you, you'd say, "Hey, yeah, that's they were wrong for that." Um, but then James says, "But because of the fact that this is bitter jealousy." Bitterness doesn't always come from what somebody has done to you, but what somebody, it can be because of what somebody has. right? Where I now see this person through a lens that, that they have what I want, where that, that jealousy component comes into play. I see them solely. I have this bitterness towards them because they have what I want. Well, then that gives way to selfish ambition. And that selfish ambition is um, how we defined it was, I'm going to look for my own well-being even if it's at the cost of others. And so, you know, I'm going to get mine, no matter what. It, you know, who's in the way, they'll, they'll get knocked out. Well, James is clearly continuing that thought. He says, okay, so why are these fights and quarrels happening among you? Why is that noise happening under the hood? Right? That, 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 that's what he's asking. And, and it's not a bad question to ask. You know, why, why do we fight? As, as I'm exiting my first year of marriage... This is a question that's been asked to me. Why do we fight? Right? Like, like afterwards, there's that, like, why, why did we get into that over that? Like, like, that? That didn't seem like we should have gotten into that kind of fight. But, but if, you're, if your spouse is in here, ask that question. Like, why do we fight? Right? Like, like, like if, if we're in here and we say, you know, I vow to love this person for the rest of my life and I would sacrificially lay down I will care for their will being above mine, well, then why do we fight? Like, if we're already coming into it that we're going to lay down our lives for the good of our spouse, then, then anything that causes us to sacrifice, why would we fight? Who cares? Or, or, or if you're just a Christian in the room, ask yourself this question, why do Christians fight with other Christians? Because apparently that happens. I, I, I don't, you know, don't pretend to be an expert, but I, I understand that Christians at times fight with other Christians, maybe denomination against denomination, Right? I've heard of some of those things through the grapevine. Why do we fight? That's what James is asking. And I believe that James gives an answer for why we fight, why this happens. You know, great questions demand great answers. And here's what James says. James says, underneath conflict, verse 1, are your desires. Underneath your conflicts, in verse 2, are your wants. And then the third thing that is underneath your conflicts in verse 3 are your pleasures. Right? And So so we have these conflicts with with other people and these conflicts can really be seen because of our desires, our wants, and our pleasures. You could summarize what James is saying is that underneath your conflicts are your cravings. Right? These cravings to be great. These cravings to, to, to have what we want. These... Cravings for pleasure, right? Maybe you think about the the, the, the conflicts. Maybe you entered into this week, whether it be your spouse, or your boss, or your coworker, or whoever the conflicts were with. You know, may, maybe it was this sense of like, uh, this conflict is existing because I have to be right. I'm not going to give up being right. That, I'm willing to die on that hill, the, the hill of being right. Or, or, or maybe maybe the conflict was I. You know, you're just not seeing me, or you're not hearing me. And, and, and it's just, you know, my, my desire to be seen and known, you know, those, those are real. And they're not necessarily bad. They're, they're not just this idea of wanting to be loved or be seen or be to, to be heard or to be right. Like, the truth is a good thing. Well, we've been hardwired to be loved and to be seen. Like Those aren't bad things, but James is saying you need to be, take careful attention to what's underneath these conflicts, because if you don't address what's actually underneath of them, you can't deal with the, the, the issue. Now, he's is going to say specifically to his people that, hey, your, your desires underneath are not healthy. They are not good. he you call them evil. But for us, underneath the conflicts that you're having in, in the world that you live are your desires, your wants, your pleasure, your cravings. But again, James isn't worrying so much about the symptoms, right? That, that, that's often how we get brought into our conflicts. We want to figure out our symptoms. We want to manage our symptoms. Right? James doesn't come in and he says, hey, hold up, who threw the first punch? He, he, he's not saying, like, who said this? Who did that? He's, he's not saying, who started it? He doesn't ask those questions. He simply says, why are you fighting? Because if he comes into just trying to manage the symptoms... That would never fix the noise. And, and for many of us, when we get drawn into our conflicts and we try to conflict resol- have conflict resolution, we try to say, okay, well, that triggered me. I just have to focus on not being triggered. Well, great, how, how well are we doing at that? No, there, there, There's things underneath of that that we need to be mindful of, right? Because if you're just trying to deal with external factors and not deal with what's really inside, under the hood... What, what we'll do, it, it, the silliness of that is like hearing a noise underneath the hood of your car and saying, I'm just going to turn up the radio so I don't have to hear it. Right? There, there were times when I was just like hardly making any money driving beater cars, and I can remember times where my brakes were just grinding so bad, um, and I just didn't have the money to change them or I mismanaged my money so I didn't change them, and so I just started turning up the volume on the car. Guess what? the brakes were still a problem. They didn't just magically get fixed. Uh, a mentor and counselor in this area of mine, um, Scott Engelman, he, he says that when we just strictly try to manage external triggers, he says what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the, the check engine light to turn off without ever addressing under what's underneath the hood. Like if we could just figure out a way to turn the sensor off, but never get under the hood, never deal with that. He says you never... We're going to find a solution there the, the conflicts will continue to come and, and, and James says these conflicts come these conflicts exist because our cravings and then he ties the idea that our cravings the ones that we have aren't pleasing to God right this is the big issue that 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 what we want is not in alignment with who God is and so when we chase this, when we go after this, he's like, and, and we're displeasing God, he says, okay, therein lies the conflict. There, there's where the issues are going to... And how do we know that James doesn't think that these, these cravings are, are pleasing to God? Well, he says, you don't even come to God. He says, you want what you don't have, He says, but you don't even ask God for it. He says, but when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. You know, we we don't come to God viewing him as, okay, God, we want you, we want everything that you have for us. He says, no, you you come to God and you say, give me what I want for for my own agenda. God's not going to bless that. God's not looking to bless that kind of heart motivation. And so, um, this verse clearly does teach us, um, that God wants to commune with us. You know, there, there, there really is still that idea, though, that we should be communing with God. We should be coming before Him. We should be praying. And, but the issue is sometimes we've taken this verse and we treat it like all it's talking about is prayer and that it's just this it's a, a, it's a recipe for, for how to pray to get God to give you what you want. Right? Like, okay, um, does this mean that if I prayed with the right motives? for good things, then, then God would give it to me. And that's a really dangerous teaching. It just is. Uh, people have been hurt through millennia based on this kind of teaching, that if I want something that's good, and I'm, I'm coming to God and saying, okay, God, this is a good thing, this is a thing that... Wait, people are out in the world struggling today because they're praying and praying and praying for God to give them a child, and he's just seemingly not answering them right now. He's not giving them yes. Or, or how many people are laying up in a hospital bed pleading with God that, that, that I would begin to feel better, that you would rid me of this disease. You know, And we pray and we ask and we, we're coming with good motives. Like health isn't a wrong thing. Children aren't a bad thing. And if we teach people that all you need to ask is for good things with right motives and God will give you what you want, then they're going to be terribly disappointed at times when God doesn't give them that. Because God says no for other reasons. God does say no for wrong motivation. That's true. But sometimes God says no because He has different plans. He has other plans. So we have to be really careful that we understand what this passage is saying properly. These cravings have led you away from even communing with God. And then, even if you did, He said you're coming with the wrong motives. And so... um, this, this, these breakdown of our relationships, these conflicts that are seen in our relationships, can be seen in our cravings, and that our cravings are contradictory to God. He calls them evil desires. He says, you know, the evidence, again, the evidence of that they're evil, he says they, they've led you away from coming to God, communing with Him, And so James quickly moves into that. He quickly moves into that conflict with God in verses 4 through 6 where he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the Scriptures mean when they say the Spirit of God, His placed within us is filled with envy, but He gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but He favors the humble. And so, friendship with the world... Right, friendship with the world, James says, makes you an enemy of God. And okay, well, we got to talk about that, because if I know my Bible, if you know your Bibles, maybe one of the first verses you ever memorized was that John three sixteen, where it says, "For God so loved the what, the world." And James here says, if you become friends with that world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Well, like. That seems like there could be a a contradiction there. Well, James isn't, when he says this word world, it's not representative of people as much as he's continuing that thought from chapter three, talking about a world value system, a a system or or worldly wisdom that has taught you to conduct yourself a certain way. He says, the nature of the world. Like if you buy into that, where I'm going to go, I'm going to get mine, I'm going to pursue mine at all. Costs, even if it cost me relationships, it cost me my marriage, cost me relationship with my kids. You know, my neighbors want nothing to do with me. He's like, that's not friendship with God. That, that's friendship with the world. And if you buy into that, don't think that that coincides with God. Don't think that that strengthens your relationship with God. He goes, no, it would actually make you an enemy of God. He says, they don't function together. The world and God are not on the same playing field. And so, um, I wonder, has the church, you know, fallen into this condition, right, where we, where we, where we become friendship with the world, where we adopt worldly ideologies, where, you know, we will we will grow at any and all costs, right? Even if it means stomping on some people to get there, we'll do it. You know, I, I mean, there, there's always this drive to, you know, and drive and ambition aren't bad, but again, if we buy into the world system, it means we adopt a drive and ambition that says position matters more than people. You know, and, and you see these these denominations at war with one another, and you know, neighboring churches fighting each other. And I just, what does God think about this? This cannot coincide with the heart of God. If we, if we aren't living in this way that this is, no, that church down the street, they matter. Those people matter. They're worshiping God. Do we, or do we have to kind of backslide, you know, uh, backbite churches and, and say, oh, here's why you would stay away from that church because they do this or they say that. And, um, and I wonder if underneath this conflict really is our cravings our cravings to be great, our cravings to have influence, our cravings to have power, to be seen as something, right? Is, is this what's underneath it? And, and and James here in this moment, I think that's what he's saying to these brothers and sisters, these Christians. Why are you fighting and quarreling among you? Well, it's, it's, your, it's your cravings. It's these evil desires. It's this idea. Again, What what What's friendship with the world when you adopt that identity or when you adopt that wisdom? He says, this makes you an enemy of God. Well, well why? Well, I think James is going to uh, show us this in, in a moment. He's going to say that friendship with the world evidences your cravings and your cravings evidence pride. Where, where do you get that? Our text. Verse 7. or Verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. That's a scary thought, that there is something that God is in just stark opposition to. You know what it is? It's pride. It's pride, and and it's something that we have to be aware of, that we have to be conscious of. Because it's innate within all of us, where pride wants to have life in us. And, and, and this idea of, of being number one is in opposition to God. And as I, as I thought about that today, or as I thought about that this week, I was thinking back to what Jesus said in John chapter 6. When Jesus makes this declaration, he says that if anyone comes to me, I will not turn them away. And I thought today, or for today, what about the prideful man or woman? I'm going to come to God. Does God close his arms to get out of here? It's a valid question. It's a great question. Can can God oppose the proud if Jesus' promise is to always um, receive any that come to him? God can oppose the proud. Because the proud will never come to Christ in the way that Christ demands. Christ demands our allegiance. And James says that. James says that in the text, right, where he says, isn't this, isn't this contradictory to the spirit that God placed in you that, that, that is an envious spirit? Like, God demands to be number one. He demands it. He wants our highest affections. And he says, that spirit that was placed in you, depending on your translation, that, that spirit that was placed in you was meant to be faithful, first and foremost, to God. So, so this word faith, the Greek word, it's the Greek word pistis. And, and Matthew Bates, is a New Testament scholar, he's written extensively on this, but he really says that this word faith is best seen as allegiance. When you see Jesus talk about faith, he says, when you, hey, when you, your invitation is to come, to come and follow, this, this, this opportunity of stepping out in faith, he said, the, the, the descriptors, these stories that you really see it happening and people say, oh, I gotta go, my, my dad just died, I gotta go bury him real quick, and, and then I'm gonna come and follow you, Jesus. Or like, hey, I just bought this house and, and it really needs a lot of work. Let me, let me work on the house and, and then I'm going to come and follow you. Jesus. Oh, hey, Jesus, the cattle that I have, that needs to be attended to. Let me attend to them and then I'll come into you. And Jesus says, none of those people that were offered invitation to my banquet will ever taste that banquet. Why? Because they had all these other things that were more important. Jesus demands our highest allegiance. Number one, The spirit that's been placed within us is an envious spirit that wants first place. And so pride says, I'm number one, and God is saying, put me as number one. That's where the opposition is. That's where they don't come into, they can't have relationship. And so that is why God can oppose the proud and still offer invitation to all to come to him. And he won't reject those that do come to him in faith. God opposes the proud and he gives grace. To the humble, and what I love about this is that he says, literally, this, James tells us that, that God offers more grace, right? In verse 5, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit of God's place is full with me? But He gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. So, 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 James is saying you could look at any facet of the world, any facet, you know, relationships, money, you just say, Hey, God's way is better. So, so when God says marriage like this, he, he's not robbing you of something. When he says money like this, work like this, relationships like this, like he's promising that his way is better than what the world's offering. You might see the person that, yeah, they acquired they acquire that, that multi, multi, multi-million dollar business and their kids want nothing to do with them. James would say, hey, I'm telling you right now, heavenly wisdom, how God is... Oriented the world, work because life is more found here than there. So, we're promised, we're promised that God offers more, that God is better, God's ways are better. He gives more grace to the humble. Verse seven to ten, we see the solution to the conflict. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And so, James essentially is telling us to practice godliness. To, to, to humble ourselves before god and, and godliness kind of sounds like a taboo word in church these days i don't know how but it does because we're gonna be oh careful pastor we're not we're not talking legalism are we godliness is not legalism godliness is the fullness of life right where where, where, where jesus says i've come to give life and to give it what more abundantly but it, it comes by following Christ. It comes from drawing near to God. That, 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 that's where life is going to be found. You want solutions to how you're to deal with the conflicts with your spouse? Well, well, Scripture has a lot to say about marriage. You know, if we were to really be self-sacrificing, if I, if I, if, if, if I wrong my wife and there's this conflict that's there, like, like I need to be able to repent of that. And not stand for why I did what I did. You know, uh, you, you need to really make sure you understand or you heard what I was saying. Like, no, that that's not... Scripture would tell, give you different advice. Be, be quick to go and seek forgiveness. Be humble. Be able to admit when you're wrong. Right? I mean, if we really adopted these practices into our life, you know, how differently people would hear you when, when you're not combating them, but, but you're saying, hey, I, I was wrong there. I'm sorry. How differently would somebody hear that than, you missed what I was saying, here's what I said. Right? If, if we took a different approach, if we really lived outside of humility and we were living as the way God has called us to, you know, um. If you're, if you're at work and you're just disappointed that your boss hasn't raised your pay in a while and you just say, well, you know what, they, they want to pay me that, well, I'm not going to work hard. I'm going to stick it to them. They're going to learn today you don't treat me like that. And hey, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be, you're not worth your wage. I'm not saying that. But the Scripture calls us to hard work. The scripture calls us to hard work. And so what if, in turn, we, we just continue to work hard? What if that was our mantra? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a model employee. If they acknowledge it, great. If they don't, okay. God does. And so, drawing near to God, living out of His wisdom, is not legalistic. It's the way to life. And so, problems with man equate to we aren't close to God. We're living out of our own wisdom. We're living out of a The value system of the world that says, I'm number one. Our cravings matter more than people. And our problems with God is that we're not near to God. They're the same problem and the solution that we have this morning. The cure is we need to draw near to God. We we have to know this. We have to know our book. Because there's life here. There's wisdom here. God's revelation to us is in these 66 books. You want to know about everything. The Apostle Paul says that that the Scriptures are God-breathed and are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God might be made complete. That this is, that we would know really how to live in the world. We would understand who God is. This is revelation. And if we really lived out of that, we would uh, bring forth a different identity, a family identity that I believe the world is looking for, that it's thirsty for, hungry for. Will we be the people that offer that? Let me pray for us this morning.